Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. I'd like to remind everybody of the fact where those Rakusus came from. Mainly, they came from the persecution of Buddhism in China. It was prohibited to wear robes like this, this big kesa, the surplice, would give a monk away. Monks were secularized, so were nuns. And in order to still wear this part of the robes that go back to the Buddha sewing together from scraps, his robe, a small version was created. Rakusu, the abbreviated or the small version of this big kasyapa or kesa. And they wore it under their outfits that they would wear for their daily activities, secretly. Secretly staying with their vow and their commitment to this path. Now, today, when a name is received, a kesa or the small kesa, the rakusu is being put on. It's often seen as an outward sign of the commitment to the path. So I like to remind all of us who wear rakusu that our ancestors in practice were willing to risk their lives to wear them. So treating rakusu as just a mere piece of clothing is not enough. It is an expression, a living expression of the vow of following a path like this. And this Uteki also participated in this secularization, in this case, while the monks were not secularized, they were killed. We can learn a lot from that by really being aware, first of all, the situation we find ourselves in today, in this world, in the 21st century, in the year 21 of that 21st century, having to see the tremendous increase in violence, in anti-Semitism, the normalization of being a jerk, of not being held accountable and not willing to be held accountable for one's actions and deeds. Persecution of the idea of equality 
is not any different than any religious persecution. Persecution for a trait of another human being, discrimination, is manifest right here in front of our own eyes. So even though this story might go back to the ninth century in China, the same human heart with the same failings, with the same shortcomings beats in our chests and in the chests of those who commit these atrocious acts of setting synagogues on fire, throwing firebombs into opposing parties, offices, screaming at other people's children based upon one's opinion. So this here connects straight to where we are and where we find ourselves right now. So, but let me go on and let me introduce you to Shigyoku Dotsu next after this sip of tea. So, Shigyoku Dotsu lived from 727 until 813 of the common era. He only appears in this single case, case 39 of the Shumon Katoshu, Entangling Vines. He was a native of Lujiang. His family name was He. As a young man, he succeeded his father as a magistrate of Nanan in Guangzhou, which is the present, present day province Fujian. But he left home to become a monk. It is interesting to note that he came from a family of government officials, which apparently brought him then back to be able to connect with the prefect. He joined the assembly under Baso Douitsu, who at the time of his death told him. So as Baso died, he said to his student, Shigyoku Dotsu, where the jade shines on a beautiful mountain, your work will prosper. When you find this place, remain there. Though Dotsu did not understand at that time what his teacher told him and what it meant. But later, when visiting Luoyang, he saw in the distance a distinctive mountain of great beauty, whose name turned out to be Shigyoku, purple jade. Remembering his teacher's words, where the jade shines on the beautiful mountain, your work will prosper. He decided to settle on that mountain and to open his own place of teaching. He taught many students who later gathered around him. In one of his recorded exchanges, we have the following question from uh, 
from one of his students. What is the way, Master, to escape from the three worlds? The Master replied, How long have you been in them? The monk persisted, asking, How can one get out of them? The master answers, green mountains do not obstruct the passing through of white clouds. A phrase that often is used in Bokuseki, brush work of Zen masters, green mountains do not obstruct the passing of white clouds. So this is Shigyoku Dotsu. Now we still don't know what is that about the character black wind, the strong wind that is blowing a ship off its course towards the land of the Rakshasas. What is that about? Is there something we should know? The characters read, Kokufu sui go sen bo yo da da setsuki koku. Wow, that sounds like a sutra, doesn't it? And when you go to the main sutras that we, that we recite, this is the three sutra book, you will find it right here on page 147, which is the second page of the Myoho Renge Kyo Kanze On Bosafu Mon Bondai Nijugo, chapter 25 of the Lotus Sutra. Right in there, these characters appear. My ordination teachers uh, place recited the full chapter 25 of the Lotus Sutra twice every day in the morning for Choka and in the afternoon for Banka, the dense and his helper, the Shoden, would do it by themselves, Banka. And it always included this Myoho Renge Kyo, the Lotus Sutra, chapter 25. So what does it say there? What is the context here? So we go back now and arrive in the times when the sutras were written. So this paragraph from the Lotus Sutra, chapter 25, translated reads like this. If the hundreds of thousands of myriads of kotis of beings who seek gold, silver, lapis lazuli, mother of pearl, carnelian, coral, amber, pearls, and so forth, enter the great sea, an evil wind may toss their boats into the territory of the Rakshasa ghosts. But if among them there's even one person who calls out the name 
of Kanzeon Bosatsu. They will all be saved from the difficulty of the Rakshasas. For this reason, she is called Kanzeon. The evil wind, the strong wind, blows their ship off course towards the land of the Rakshasas. Oh, yes, yeah. Somebody is asking, what is a Rakshasa? Good question. Very good question. So let me tell you what the Rakshasa is. Rakshasas appear in various Buddhist scriptures. In Japanese, they are known as Rasetsu. Now, we heard about chapter 25 of the Lotus Sutra. But chapter 26, actually, of this very Lotus Sutra indicates a dialogue between Shakyamuni Buddha, Seson, and a group of Rakshasa daughters who swear to uphold and protect this very Myoho Rengekyo, the Sutra of the Mysterious Lotus. They also teach magical dharanis to protect followers who also uphold the sutras. Another place where we can meet the rakshasas in the sutras is the Lankavatara Sutra. And it mentions actually the island of Sri Lanka as the homeland of those rakshasas. There's always some kind of other place we think devilish creatures live and have a homeland. We really need to look at ourselves and be very honest what we do. Apparently this has been a human tendency to put hell in other places than where we are and to look down or to fear the otherness of the inhabitants of the land of the Rakshasas. So, but at that time they thought it was Sri Lanka. The king is called Ravana. And it was actually the king of the Rakshasas who invited, according to this Lankavatara Sutra, the Buddha to come to Sri Lanka to deliver a sermon and to introduce the teaching of the Dharma to the land of the Rakshasas. There are also other Rakshasas from that land, like the brother of Ravana, whose name was Vibhisana, who is believed to also have lived there in Sri Lanka. Man and woman eating demons human being eating demons. Now, please forgive me for speaking out a little bit. There is a modern 21st and 20th century reference to the Rakshasas as well. Because the Rakshasas have long been a race of villains in the Dungeons and Dragons role-playing game. 
So that is something from modern times. They appear as animal-headed humanoids, mostly with either tiger or monkey heads. And their hands are inverted. That means where our palm is, their back of the hand is, and where our back of the hand is, their palm. That's how you can tell when you see them. And they also wear very fine clothes. They are masses of necromancy, enchantment and illusion of deceiving others. And they do it to disguise themselves so that they are not seen as a threat, but ultimately they want to eat you. They ravenously prey upon humans, at least in Dungeons and Dragons, as food. And now I don't know if anyone remembers way, way before Ghost Hunters, X-Files and so on. ABC used to have a TV series that was called Colchap, The Night Stalker. ABC played it 1974-1975. And in there, the Rakshasas appear as well. And that's where it's said that this role-playing game picked up the concept. Now, when I read to you this description of a Rakshasa, Didn't you feel somehow that there are parts that describe ourselves? Man, woman eating demons. Remember the Lotus Sutra speaking about the ship in chapter, chapter 25 of people. What were they seeking? Riches, gold, silver. Amber, lapis, all those things, and set out onto that great ocean of samsara. A dark wind, a fierce wind might appear and blow them towards the land of those men, women eating rakshasas. It is not said that those who set out into this land, onto this sea, this ocean, seeking for those riches, that they are doomed or that they're doing anything wrong. Yet there is the tendency of that fierce wind to appear and to blow us towards this realm of dark sides of our human nature. So the self-devouring demons. I put a mirror in front of myself and oh, there's the Rakshasa. Self-doubt, 
is the name of one of those rakshasas. And who do they feast on? Well, they devour ourselves. We devour ourselves here. Self-hatred, self-loathing. Quite something to look at it that way. But when it comes to Uteki, he asks a very, very simple question. He's not really interested in all of the minutiae around Lotus Sutra chapter 25. He just wants to know, what does that mean? Sometimes a strong wind blows the ship off course towards the land of the Rakshasas. Let me tell you a similar story that will bring the point even clearer to expression. This is recorded in Zen Flesh, Zen Bones, Yogin Sinzaki and Paul Reps. And it's a story about Hakuin, Hakuin Ekaku. A soldier named Noboshke came to Hakuin and asked, Master, is there really paradise and hell? Who are you? inquired Hakuin. I am a samurai, said Nobusuke. You? A soldier? What kind of person would have you as his guard? Your face looks like the face of a beggar. Now, his face didn't turn pale. Noboshke's face turned red. He became upset. And he started to draw his sword. And Hakuin continued. Oh, oh you have a sword. I, I bet you that sword is not even sharp enough to cut my head off. The, short, the sword comes out. And ready to strike, Hakuin says, here opens the gate to hell. The samurai Noboshke returned the sword into its sheath and bowed deeply. And Hakuin said, here opens the gate to paradise. So what happens when the ship is blown off course? Igyoku used exactly the same medicine, the same medicine of arousing 
those always existing vulnerabilities of being a human being. For Novoske, his idea, his definition of I am a warrior, I am strong, I am this, whatever it may be, was scuffed by Hakuin's remarks. He could not see himself being insulted, questioned, Shigyoku and the prefect, Uteki. Shigyoku answered, you miserable lackey. I am the prefect. How dare you call me a miserable lackey? Why does he question my question and put me down? It was so unheard of for this arrogant person at the time that he paled. Have you been in a situation like that ever? where you find somebody being an expert in pushing the buttons that you have, in scuffing ideas of who we are, or even ideas of who we want to be. It happens to all of us. And if we are lucky, like Noboshke and like Uteki, we meet somebody who does not just use those buttons to play their favorite piece on you, but to lead us to reflection, to discernment, to the experience of how hell, how heaven, and how earth come into existence. What we do really matters. One of the great lessons of doing Zazen is to turn ourselves from reactive to reflective so that we see what is happening and can make a relationship to it versus just fighting back, just having a reflex, defending. The point of getting defenseless at some point is really, really important. Openness means vulnerability. But without openness, 
it is hard, it is almost impossible to learn to embrace what is unfolding right here in this. So these teachings are immensely important because they also remind us of the fact that you know Zen practice and Zen teaching is not a dealing with abstract ideas. It's not dealing with ideology, ideology, philosophy, dogma are constructs that exist outside and are not unfolding right here. But our human culture, our human history has developed norms, ways to do things, systems. And some of those systems are very old and carry in them actions, assumptions that are no longer with the maturity of where we human beings ought to be. And now comes the central point. Those systems are only kept alive by the actions of human beings. Our actions, our reactions are so central in what we would call change. Do we, without reflection, react and act according to these old ways? This has always been like that. Or do we learn to be more reflective, open our eyes and become more vulnerable in that sense? And it might be painful to see and to learn, yes, oh yeah, I have to look at this way of being in the world very carefully. But ultimately, this is where change happens. And it is up to us to make that change be a dark wind that blows all of us towards the land of the Rakshasas. Or if it is just the gentle breeze, sometimes the fierce breeze, or the storm of what is unfolding right in front of us. Now, taking this teaching to heart, that what we choose to do is a good reminder for all of us who have taken Jukai, a good reminder for all of us who are just about to take Jukai. And a lesson that there is no static salvation. 
this universe doesn't have a safe room into which we can retreat. And if we retreat into any kind of such cavity, we might feel safe, but ultimately it will turn out to be a prison if we cannot free ourselves from that confinement. Confinement to ideas about ourselves, confinement of having to gain this or that, confinement to not being this or that way. Uteki apparently was ready with this very short instruction. You were just blown over to that land of the Rakshasas to see through it. May we all be able to be that open, to overcome our own arrogance. And there is spiritual arrogance as well. Let's be clear about that. We are no better than anyone else just because we do this practice. In fact, more humble, more open, more vulnerable will show us the way to sail like Kanzeon Bodhisattva on the sea where we find ourselves maybe blown by the wind here and there. But that we learn to make relationship with the journey as it unfolds. So, Uteki, listen where your name is exclaimed. And act. Act compassionately, wisely, and fully. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org slash donate. Thank you for listening.